6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Job, chapters 2 through 5. Job is not arguing a point. He's trying to understand his experience. There's a big difference. Big difference. He's dreadfully in earnest, and yet he's also very transparently honest. Job acquits himself quite well here. His friends will talk about God, but Job talks to God. And uh, this makes him the only authentic theologian in the bunch. He tells God exactly how he feels and just what he thinks. And there can't be any prayers better than that. So Job's on track, even though as desperate as he is and so forth. By the way, nowhere does Job bewail the losses of chapter 1. He's reconciled to that. I don't know if I could be. He did. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I mean, okay. There's no place that he bewails the uh, illness of chapter 2. He's upset about it, but he... He's, in a sense, reconciled. He's trying to understand why. His concern from beginning to end is with God. Not his health. I'm not his wealth or his health, chapter 1, chapter 2. But his life with God. It is because he seems to have lost God that he's in such torment. The real insight to Job's uh, anxiety is not the wealth not the health problems, is that he, he fears that there's his relationship with God is severed. And he can't handle that. He can't handle that. Let's come up to Job. Chapters 4 and 5 constitute Eliphaz's first discourse. We're not going <laughs> to relax. We're not going to go through all uh, 18 speeches in Job. It's a 42-chapter book. We're going to try to do it in, in, in a fewer number of sessions than that. For, but once you we'll go through Eliphaz, you'll get the flavor that pretty much characterizes the others. And we'll talk about the others subsequently. But, but we'll go to this. We'll, we'll actually go read through chapter 4 and 5. And uh, uh, Eliphaz is going to put his address in four, chapters 4 and 5. He'll speak again in chapter 15 and chapter 22. But his first argument breaks down into six main points. And when you hear them, you'll get the gist of what all the others are going to be saying through the rest of the book. Eliphaz begins by saying to Job, in fact, he's going to say, follow your own advice. Verse 1 in chapter 4. Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, now notice the way he does this. He's really got courtesy here. If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking or refrain from words? In other words, do you mind? But we need to talk about this. See, you sense at least an apparent courtesy up front. He gets tougher as it goes, but at least he's starting out courteously. Verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have beholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and uprightness of thy ways? He's saying to Job, You've been a counselor to others. 
You, you, to many people, you, you've identified the problem and you assist other people dealing with it. Now it's your turn. You need to follow your own advice. Pretty good opener, okay? But then he goes on to define the problem. And we learn Eliphaz's basic principle of life. Verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. See, Eliphaz's basic principle is you reap what you sow. That's certainly true in the general. Is it necessarily true here? You remember the psalmist said, Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and I've been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. But you see, Eliphaz is going too far. Uh, That's one thing in an abstract principle. It's quite another to apply it to Job's case. Eliphaz deserves the retort by Job. Job should have said something like, you haven't seen much. He's relying, Eliphaz is relying on his own experience to generalize. Verse 9. By the blast, Eliphaz continues, by the blast of God they perish and by the breath of his nostrils, the nostrils they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken, the old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. <laughs> well, what Eliphaz's argument lacks in substance, he makes up for with rhetoric. <laughs> there are no fewer than five different words for lion in that verse. This is incredibly eloquent Hebrew that's going on here. Eliphaz uses a pride of lions or a family of lions to describe the, the natural strength of human beings. And it, it appears strong, but in God's judging hand, it's broken. See, the argument is that the righteous are never punished and only the unrighteous suffer. That's base, Eliphaz's basic premise. In fact, he says, where did you ever see an innocent man uh, perish? Where did you ever see an unrighteous man succeed? Is, is what's he, the question he's begging. And of course, uh, he, he concludes that Job's problem is caused by his own sin. Something he's hiding, something he isn't admitting. He said, in other words, Job, if you'll admit what's wrong with the sin, then everything's going to be all right. Well, that's a principle that needs to be reexamined. Remember in John 9, Jesus said, you know, they, or they asked Jesus, the disciples, the blind, who sinned, this man or his parents? Remember? Well, it was in this case for, this, for the glory of God. But remember Moses in Midian? He was 40, 40 years in Midian, married to Yvonne de Carlo all those years, you know. And uh, David in his hideout from Saul. Both Jeremiah and Joseph were in a pit. Did they deserve to be? Uh, Daniel was in the lion's den. Did, did he deserve to be? Was he there because he did something wrong? Hardly. He was there because he did something right. Paul was in prison more than once. Was it because he did something wrong? Was it sin that put him in that kind of a situation? Here's Job in the city dump. Same situation. All the heroes of Hebrews 11, we go through what some people call the hall of faith. All, all those people, all the sawed in half and all, all those different things going on. What? Because they were wrong. It's because they were right. So there's, it's not that simple. And of course, the ultimate example is Jesus. Jesus was the innocent one to suffer for all of us. Anyway, Eliphaz goes on to tell, uh, tell Job that if he will fear God and confess his sins, everything's going to be all right. Eliphaz apparently recognized that relying on his own experiences it makes him a little vulnerable, so now he's going to fall back on a claim of divine revelation. I have a prophecy. No, sir. Okay. Uh, it's going to be very similar to what happens to Balaam in Numbers uh, 24, but let's move on here. 
He's going to break down his message in two parts. And first, he's going to refer to a night vision that came to him. It's going to get kind of spooky here. So hang on, verse 12 to 15 is, 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 is pretty spooky. Verse 12, Eliphaz, speaking to Job, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof. In other words, by stealth in the Hebrew. In thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. The word here is ruach, which also can mean wind, but it's very strange. It's usually in the feminine. Here it is used with masculine verbs. His stood, his appearance, so forth. Uh, it's, it, it's clear that what's intended to, to communicate is the Spirit of God, not just wind. By the way, the same thing happens in the Greek in Second Thessalonians with the restrainer. It's a neuter, and yet it's used in a, in a masculine way, and so forth. It's a hint that it's the Holy Spirit. But anyway... Uh, that's what he's intending to communicate here. Verse 16, It stood still, and I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes, and there was silence. And I heard a voice saying, in fact, it says, I heard a still small voice. Verse 17, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Now this banality, if you will, makes Eliphaz sound pretentious. And it's really quite unfair. Job hasn't questioned the ways of God he hasn't claimed to be better than God. All he's done is proclaim his misery. But Eliphaz has taken this you know, in that direction. Verse 18, Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay whose foundations in the dust which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without regarding it. They actually destroyed it. It's beaten in pieces is what it says. But anyway... Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. This whole argument is based on the fact that infinite justice rules the universe. You can't argue with that. God is holy and pure. So, And what chance would a man uh, who's to have to stand before him and claim to be uh, sinless? This is good theology, it would seem. Even Socrates understood this when he declared, perhaps deity can forgive sins, but I don't see how. That's a profound insight into the justice of God. And we're going to see before the end of this book that this was a, a problem that Job himself was indeed facing. He did not understand his own heart, and so he so confesses at the end. But the problem with Eliphaz's argument is that he sees God only as a God of justice. See, God is a God of justice. What he's saying is true. But it's only part of the story, only part of the fact. How often we come to an erroneous judgment, even in human affairs, when we only have half the facts. And uh, Eliphaz sees nothing of God's love, compassion, or forgiveness. He has no grasp of discipline or training from the Father's hand. It's a whole different concept. See, because he's got an unbalanced theology, that his truth becomes false in its application. You can take something that's true and misapply it is the point. How, how we need to understand that. See, this is why many people will take partial truths and end up in error. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon uh, spoke about preachers who went about with a theological revolver in their ecclesiastical trousers. Seliphaz <laughs> <laughs> continues to argue that uh, trouble comes only from, from sin. But the gulf between Job and his friends is beginning to open up. And uh, Job's position is, is more audacious, believing, uh, uh, more, than, uh, more believing 
in effect in God than Eliphaz's insipid insinuations. And he's, he's not going to be reminded, uh, excuse me, he's not going to be silenced by reminders that it is not for a puny man to question the ways of Almighty. Job's questions may be unanswerable, but he will ask them and he will insist upon his right to ask them before it's over. Let's get through chapter 5, verse 1. Eliphaz continues, Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints will thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. See, that's what he's saying. In effect, uh, that's what's really what's wrong. You're vexed and, and jealous, and that's why you have trouble. Verse 3, Eliphaz says, I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. Now, this is a nasty blow by Eliphaz. This is a hidden reference to the calamity that took place in chapter 1, when the roof fell down and killed all of Job's ten children, seven sons and three daughters. Eliphaz is suggesting that these things, such things can only happen when uh, there's something wrong in Job's life. He's blaming Job for the killing of his children. You can imagine that Job's having a, getting a belly full of the comfort he's getting from Eliphaz. Huh? Verse 5, continue. Whose harvest the hungry eateth up and taketh it even out of thorns, and the robbers swath up their substance. And although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Or the, uh, the Hebrews says the sons of burning coal lift up the sky. Have you ever seen a fire? You've seen the sparks go up. Well, he's saying that, the, that uh, man is born to trouble just as the sparks fly upward. And trouble comes from sin, and if you've got trouble, sin has to be the reason. Stop and think. Do you see the logical error there? Trouble comes from sin. So if you have trouble... Sin has to be the reason. Do you see the logical error? See? Trouble comes from sin, but trouble can come from lots of other places too. Follow me? So in fact, you may have trouble. Doesn't Sin could be one of the possibilities. There are others. But that's the logical... See, this is one of the more conspicuous logical fallacies here. Now, the next section, Eliphaz is going to make the point that there's no playing games with God because God knows too much. He's got all the facts. That's basically it here. So what he's going to say is true. He's just misapplying it. Verse 8. Ellis says, I would seek unto God and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields to set upon high those that be low, and that those that mourn should be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of, his, of the forward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as the night. And he saveth the poor from the sword and from the mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor hath hope and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. This is one of the most beautiful creedal hymns in the Bible. It simply says God is in control and that he's so clever and wise that you cannot deceive him. Just give up and, and get it out into the open and God will bless you. That's sort of the thrust of Eliphaz's argument here. Verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Well, boy, this all sounds familiar. We've, uh, Psalm 94, 12, Proverbs 3, 11, Hebrews 12, 5. That's going to be the point that Elihu makes when you get to Job 36, but that's, we get ahead of ourselves. But Eliphaz continues in verse 18, For he maketh sore, he bindeth up, he woundeth, his hands make whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven shall no evil touch thee. 
In famine he shall redeem thee from death, and in war from the power of the sword. Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue, neither shalt thou be afraid of the destruction when it cometh. At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh, neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For thou shalt be in league with with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with thee, and thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation, and shall not sin. Well, anyway, in view of... In view of Job's loss of property and family, uh, Eliphaz's bumbling uh, on here is is understandably infuriating Job. He's going to have his response in chapter 6 and 7. Verse 25, Thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great, thy offering as the, uh, excuse me, offspring as the grass of the earth, and so on. You know, it's here, verse 25 is promising you the good news is he's going to have great seed. You know, this promise of numerous descendants can hardly comfort someone who has just been rendered childless. These guys are incredibly insensitive to the situation Job's facing. Verse 26, Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age like a shock of corn cometh in a season. Lo, this we have searched it, and so it is. Hear it, know it, for thou for thy good. Dillich, one of the great commentators in the Old Testament, points out that, the, quote, the skill of the poet is proved by the difficulty which the expositor has in detecting that which is false in the speech of Eliphaz. In other words, you can go through his speech very carefully and you can't find a proposition that isn't really true, but it's just misapplied. doesn't fit Job's situation. See, it's good theology, but it's not taking all the facts. And the Lord himself is going to single out Eliphaz in making this error when we get to chapter 42, which is the concluding chapter. Anyone that's been around a while can, knows that there's, it's possible to find godly people who have not been protected, who still will go through times of trial and peril and suffering. Job has no quarrel with the statements of, of highlighting the power and justice of God. This issue just doesn't fit his case. He has long ago learned that he has to view his good life not as a reward. And so he has, it's like a gift and not a reward. It's a gift, not a reward. So he has no complaint when it's removed. That's been Job's attitude in the beginning and he sustains that attitude. But Job's highest wisdom is to love God for God, for God alone. He loves God for himself alone not because of what he gets out of it. And so Eliphaz's words are, rather than a comfort, they're really a trap. Job is being tested the same way Abraham was being tested in Genesis 22. And Abraham's testing, like Job's, was neither punitive, like for a sinner, nor is it cor- uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, or corrective for the saint. It's a different kind of a test. Do you trust me? Is what God is saying. And Abraham did. And Job in his own way, will also. But no thanks to these characters that he's surrounded with. This story, I believe, in part, is given to us that we might learn to correct our theology and understand that there are deeper reasons for suffering than sin. Now, Job's speeches are going to face this reality far more courageously than those of his friends. The vindication of goodness, God's or man's, uh, lies beyond ultimate testing and death. When the victory of resurrection 
proves the indestructibility of the good life. And the best example is, is the cross. The darkest mystery of human agony will be embraced by God himself and be, be transformed into, uh, from moral outrage into glory. When the victim is the willing sin-bearer, his suffering becomes the conquest of evil and the display and proof that God is love. That suffering by God himself will be the ultimate display of love. That's really what it's all about. People often say, what's it all for? Why did God make man? He knew he was going to sin and so on and so forth. Ephesians 2.7 is your answer to that. We always quote Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Even it, the faith, is a gift that no flesh should boast. It's the verse before that gives you the clue. Why does God do all this? So that in ages yet to come, he can manifest his glory in his riches in Christ Jesus. It's God's incredible achievement. Well, anyway, Eliphaz's comfort that we've experienced in the last two chapters raises Job's torment even a higher pitch. Job's loss of certainty about God's goodness is a poverty and a pain that's more desolating than any of his, or I should say all of his other troubles. All his poverty, all his pain is less than the, 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 his loss of certainty about God's goodness. See, everything else may go, but, uh, not, uh, but God has to remain. So it's this threat to his faith, not his running sores, that becomes the utmost hurt in his mind. The friendship of God is all that matters now. And that's going to, going to declare that in chapter 29 when we get there. Now, we've managed to get through um, <laughs> quite a handful here. Job's reply will come in chapter 6 and 7. He'll reply to all of this. In chapter 6, he's going to rebuke his friends, not just Eliphaz, all three of them. In chapter 7, he's going to address his complaint directly to God. And uh, so we're going to, we'll, we'll see how far we can get through. We're not going to go verse by verse through all the discourses. Relax. I wanted to go through Eliphaz's because it's sort of foundational. And it gives you a flavor of, of what's going on here. And we'll try to uh, uh, lay out the essence of the other uh, discourses and dialogues that are going on. But understand that Job's not trying to prove a point. He's trying to understand the experience. There's a big difference there There's uh, uh, between the two. Now, not all of Job, well, I should say, uh, uh, there are some other discoveries that we're going to make as we go that uh, emerge in these discussions. There are more scientific comments in the book of Job than probably any other book in the Bible. There's more, uh, there are at least 15 specific anticipations of, of scientific breakthroughs that are alluded to here in Job. We're going to discover that there are more comments on creation in the book of Job than anywhere else in the Bible. We're also going to notice in all of these things there are no fallacies, no errors. And we'll talk a little bit about that before we're all through. So the book of Job. Superficially, people say, well, it's, the book of Job is all about why do the innocent suffer? No, uh-uh. That is an issue, but it's not the primary issue. And it's that God is in control, and there's a handful of other lessons. We, we highlighted some of those in our first session and we'll, we'll recommit those as we go through. Book of Job. What you might do for next time is read ahead. 
Read chapters six and seven for sure, and 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 uh, in theory, at least, we in the next couple of sessions, we'll want to go all the way through to chapter thirty-one. Thirty-two is a change of scene, and what happens subsequently will be different. But the next uh, the the next couple of dozen chapters are discourses between these guys, uh, making a statement to Job and Job replying. You can skim through that for next time if you can. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Anytime you think you've got problems, it's worthwhile jumping in at least the first few chapters of the book of Job. Because that there is a, there's an incredible, there's incredible uh, issues there, but there's also some astonishing encouragement forthcoming. We'll be well rewarded for our diligence to hang in there through this book. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for Job. We thank you for its lessons, Father. We thank you for highlighting to us that there's the major parts of the combat are behind the scenes that we're not aware of, that we don't see, that we are, in effect, in a sense, pawns in a cosmic war. But we're also the prize. We thank you, Father, that you have chosen to single us out. We thank you, Father, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Father, that you're ever there to guard, shield, protect, and encourage. And we thank you, Father, that you've promised that we will not be tested above that we were able. So... We just thank you, Father. We, we do pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate these many lessons in this book, that we would be more sensitive to the fact that, that uh, our job is simply to believe in and trust you, Father, and all the rest will follow. We thank you for Job and his example, and we thank you for this book, which will illuminate how truths can be misapplied. Help us, Father, not to take a a basic principle, and misapply it in situations where you don't have all the facts, Father. Help us, Father, for dis- with, with discernment that in all these things we might be more effective stewards of your many gifts, Father. We pray, Father, that you'd help each of us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Job. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music